bring in the man among the people, and the magicians would do the same thing with their enchantments. Bring in the shares upon the land, they would do the same thing. There was only one difference that uh, between the magicians and Moses. They could bring in the frogs, but they couldn't take them out. Moses could bring them in and take them out. So he's always been an imitator of God. So if in the book of the Revelation you find the real Christ come riding upon a white horse, do not be surprised if you find also the Antichrist upon a white horse. Because from the very beginning it has been said. Now in the sixth chapter of the book of the Revelation is the first mention of a white horse. And this one is the Antichrist, because he comes from beneath. The one in the 19th chapter comes from above. The one in the 6th chapter comes, he comes as a false promise of a peace, but is soon succeeded by war and famine and pestilence and so forth. The one in the 19th chapter, which is Christ, comes at the end of earth's sorrow. He comes with a declaration for war, but is soon succeeded by peace and prosperity and plenty. So I want you to look for a moment at the one in the sixth chapter, which is the Antichrist. He comes riding upon a white horse, and he comes as a promise of peace. He comes as a promise of peace, a false promise of peace. Because there is no peace, says the Lord. And all the promising of peace is going on by the Antichrist today, my friends. All of that will soon be succeeded by a red horse of war. That's the way it's always been. You said, do you think we're not going to have peace? No, you're not going to have peace. As long as the Prince of Peace is away. Now, all over the world tonight, political leaders are talking about peace. But they do not forget, and they do forget this, that all of the talk that they have about peace tonight is nothing more nor less than a fulfillment of the prophecy of the soon coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he said, when you shall begin to face this, when you shall begin to cry, peace, peace, then sudden destruction comes upon you. So all of this peace talk tonight is nothing more or less than the getting ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember a few years ago when Mr. Kosygin was in this country, and he and President Johnson had a meeting up in New Jersey, and I said that the Red Star of Russia and the Lone Star of Texas met and discussed the Star of David, but said very little about the Star of Bethlehem. And at that time, Mr. Kosygin said, talking about peace, which Russia is always in favor of peace. They believe in peace, the communists do, a peace of this and a peace of that and a peace of this. They're, they're in favor of that, you know. But remember this, I said, I said this, Mr. Kosygin said that they're going back to Israel will have to give back some of the land they've taken from the Arabs. And I said, look who's talking. When he said they have to give back the land, look who's talking. Why doesn't he give back Czechoslovakia, Romania, Bulgaria, Cuba? Why doesn't he give that back? I've got news for him. They're not only not going to give it back, they're going to get more. 
Why? Because they have a title deed to it in the book of Genesis. From the great river to the river Euphrates, it's theirs, my friend. And I don't know, but God said that's theirs and they're not going to give it back. So he's going to come, the Antichrist. This is the spirit of the Antichrist that is now working. You said, you think the Antichrist is upon the earth? I don't know. He may be. He may be. But if he is, he has not yet revealed himself. And he will not be revealed until after the rapture of the church and the withdrawal of the Holy Spirit. Because only he who letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And so Jesus said of the church, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. So the only restraining influence in the world now is the Holy Spirit. That's the only restraining influence. So when the church is raptured, then the light is gone and the salt is gone. So what takes place upon this earth? Darkness. Salt is for preservation. Light dispels darkness. So when the light, when the church is raptured, the light is gone, so darkness comes, the salt is gone, so putrefaction sits in, and the only thing that's keeping this world now from going into absolute rottenness and decay is what few Christians that's left in it. The only thing that's keeping this, this city or this county tonight from in absolute decay is what few Christians in it. Take the Christians out of it, and what would you have? That was the trouble down in Sodom. God went down looking for salt, and he didn't find enough, so he said, I'll burn it up. He found a little. He found a little. He said, I can't do anything until Lot be taken out. So he said, I've got to take Lot out. And Lot went out, and when Lot went out, the fire fell. Of course, Mrs. Lot, she was so fascinated by the society of Sodom that he said, don't look back, and she rubbered, and God turned her to a pillow of salt. Now let me tell you something, my friend. I preached a sermon once on Remember Lot's Wife, and I made such a failure, I said I'd never talk about another man's wife as long as I live. But let me tell you something. Here's the thing. Lot went, went out ahead of the fire, but in the antediluvian world, he said, I'm going to destroy that, but I'm going to make an ark and put, and put Noah in it and his family, and I'll take them through the flood. And so Noah went through the flood, felt all of the winds, all of the waves, all of it beat against his heart, but these went out ahead of the fire. Noah is a type of Israel, and Lot is a type of the church, and so Israel will go through the great tribulation and feel all of the winds and the waves and all of it of the days of Jacob's trouble. But thank God, you know what? Thank God the church will go out ahead of the fire. When the fire falls, we'll be gone. That's what I'm telling. So I'll go out ahead of the fire. A false promise of peace. You say, how else will he come? He'll come in the next place he'll come. He'll come as, as a genius in finance. The Antichrist will. He'll come solving the great financial problems that confront the world. I think we need someone to solve them just now, don't you think? Why? Because we're bankrupt. Every nation in the world is bankrupt, and so are we. They've taxed everything in the world they can tax, except the, the winds you breathe, and I'm expecting them to put a meter on my windpipe most any day. But let me tell you something, my friend. There's your thing tonight. Do you know what caused? You say, how, why are we in danger? I'll tell you why we're in danger. I just said, study, I'm going to shiver your timber. Just sit study for a moment. I went through the old Roman Empire, and I studied the other day again the rise and fall of the Roman Empire. And I found the Roman Empire fell because of about three things. 
One is they rotted morally. They rotted morally. And number two is they became sports crazy. You don't think so? Look at the great Colosseum. And the third thing was overtaxation. It become absolutely unbearable. Now, are we following the same pattern? If you don't think so, let me ask you this, if you don't think so, rotten morally, we are today with dope and immorality and sex, the whole business, sex, immorality, godlessness, and uh, listen, the, the, we're in the first chapter of the book of Romans. Even a sexual business that's gone beyond the natural affection. Men with men and women with women. I saw where a priest married two men the other day in England. I saw where two women were suing to have the right to marry. What's that? Listen, homosexuality. Think of a church in Miami for the homosexuals. Out in California to have one. And the preacher advertises himself as a homosexual. Somebody said, well, what are we going to do? We must pray for them. You think there's any need? You listen to what God said for this cause. God gave them up. God gave them up. We are becoming an absolute immoral, rotten, degraded people. That's all, my friend. Second in sports traces. You think so? Building Coliseum. 50, 100,000 people jammed in to one thing. Sports crazy. Aren't we in it today? You think about it. Over taxation. That's where we are. So he'll come solving the great financial problem. Why do I say that? Because he will form a league with those who hold the balance of power. Let me ask you tonight. Who holds the balance of power financially in Wall Street? Who holds the balance of power? You know who has it. And he'll form an alliance. He'll form an allegiance with that. That'll be the thing. That'll be the thing. The other thing, he's going to come as a statesman. He's going to come as a genius in statesmanship. And I'll tell you why I do that. Now look at this. He said, I saw the scarlet clothed woman come riding upon the beast. For I anticipate that eventually apostate Protestantism and apostate Catholicism will join hands under the name of universal brotherhood. And they'll form the great harlot and thus he will come into power, aided and abetted by an apostate Christianity. I was talking to a good Catholic friend of mine not long ago. She said to me, Dr. Lincoln, I can't understand. So I was taught when I was a child it was wrong to eat meat on Friday. Now the Pope said it's all right, and to have only one fast day during Lent. She said, what's happened? If it was wrong when I was a child, it's still wrong. I said, do you want me to tell you what's happened? I said, I'm going to tell you what it is. They are watering it down to take these weak-kneed Protestants in. That's exactly what it is. And that's the reason I'm against your ecumenical movement. Amen? That's the reason I'm against the National Council. I'm not going to, I'm not going to aid and assist in the creation of the great harlot. I'm not going to do it. Now, nowhere in the Bible did God said, come together. He said, come out from among Come out from among and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and I will receive you. I'd rather walk alone, wouldn't you? I'd rather walk alone. Now, this, all of this is succeeded by war, and then the black horse of famine, the pale horse of pestilence, and so forth. 
That's in the sixth chapter. Now, let me come into the 19th chapter with you. This now is the real Christ. Coming in the 19th chapter, I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat up on him was called Faithful and True. Now I think we'll talk tonight, we'll take the names of this one on the white horse. This, I think the names of this white horse rider is most significant. And first of all, he said his name is Faithful and True. Now he's the faithful one upon whom you can depend. He is the one who, who counts the numbers of the hair of your head and attends the funeral of every sparrow that falls. He is the faithful one that has guarded and watched over Israel and kept her as the apple of his eye. He's the faithful one upon whom you can lean and upon whom you can depend. And when he comes, his name shall be called faithful and true. Why? Because not one jot or tittle of this word shall fail until all of it has been fulfilled. You say you believe that? Yeah, I believe the word. Amen? Because it's faithful and true. A little two-by-squirt said to me not long ago, he said to me, do you believe the Bible contains the word of God? I said, no, I believe it is the word of God. From the first word in Genesis to the last word in the book of the Revelation, it's the verbally inspired, inerrantly accurate, God-breathed word of God. Listen, that's what I believe. I believe that. He said, but the Bible is so full of contradictions. He'd heard somebody say that. I said, is that so? I said, show me one. Oh, he said, there's plenty. I said, I don't want plenty, just one. Just... And he stood there and spurted like an arc light. I said, what are you talking about, something you don't know anything about? He said, but the Bible is so unscientific. I said, is that so? That's a big word. I said, the Bible is a thousand years ahead of science. Amen? If you want to know something about science, know this Bible. I remember when the astronauts, the first one went up, and that I listened to a news commentator that night, and he said, one thing they proved today, they proved that the world is round because they saw the circle of the earth. Well, Isaiah said that before he ever said it. He said, he that sitteth above the circle of the earth. Amen? Why, well, he said, the astronomers picked up their telescopes and looked in the north and saw a space that had no stars in it. They thought, they had, they thought that they had discovered something. They knew that in the Bible before they found it out. He said, he stretches out the north over the empty spaces and hangeth the earth upon nothing. Why, my friend, listen, how long have we known there were germs before we ever found it out? They knew it in the Bible. Did you ever go to a hospital? I suppose you've had your operation. If not, you're a back number. That's the reason I'm so high up the social ladder. I belong to the royal order of star stomachs myself. Let me show you something, my friend. Here we are tonight. Let me see this to you. How did you ever go to a hospital? You ever see the doctors come in like this, you know? Right with a cloth around their mouth? I went to a hospital once, they came in to see me, had on their long robes and the white caps and looked like a delegation of the Ku Klux Klan calling on me. And you know something? Well, they knew that before the medics ever wised up to it. Listen to what the Bible says. Listen to what the Bible says. And this shall be the law of the leper. He shall go down the street with a cloth on his upper lip. And as the wind blows, he cries unclean and goes to the other side. They knew it. Amen. Bible's a thousand years ahead of science. He said, well, you know what I think? I said, no, you don't think. No, you're not capable of thinking. Yeah, I, I said, somebody, you heard somebody say that, or you read it, but you didn't think it. I said, you just probably patent what somebody told you. I said, if God had intended if you had been a bird, he'd have put feathers on you. 
I said, use your own head, a woodpecker does. I said, all you're using yours for is a knot in your spinal cord to keep it from unraveling, that's all. Fact of the matter, he didn't have a head, just a neck run up and the stub haired over. Let me show you something today. Oh, his name shall be faithful and true. He said, well, do you believe that, that the whale swallowed Jonah? I said, who said it did? said, the Bible. I said, no, the Bible says that God prepared a great fish. Hebrew word, dag, meaning monster of the deep. God prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah had a custom-built boat for that ride. Amen? And he said, well, Jonah, the gastric juices would have digested Jonah. I said, I don't think Jonah's wandering around any whale's gastric juice. I think he was rambling around trying to find the place he came in, and God tickled the old whale and he spit him up, F-O-B, free on bank. That's the first case of free mail delivery we have on wrestling. You think that's a miracle? He said, I can show you, I can show you a miracle. He said, you don't believe that the, the store of the ark, do you? I said, I certainly do. He said, how big was the ark? Oh, you're smart, you know. He said, how big was the ark? I gave him the dimensions of the ark, how long it was, how high it was, how wide it was. Then he laughed and said, now you see how ridiculous that is? How would the priest ever carry that across the Jordan? <laughs> you know what it is? He said, do you believe the two of every animal got in the ark? I said, I certainly do. But he said, you think how much room two elephants would take up? I said, yeah, and you think how many fleas in bed books get on two elephants, too? Did you ever stop to think about that? He said, but it only had one window in it. That wouldn't have been proper ventilation. No, I said, the Bible said that a cubit shall thou finish it above. The ark was finished all, just an opening uh, 18 inches of, uh, wide all the way around. That was perfect ventilation. He said, but the rain would have blown in. I said, no, because the wind didn't blow until the rain ceased. Read your Bible. You know, knowing your Bible will unfit you for hearing a lot of preaching. Did you know that? Let me tell you something. There's what he said. I believe what he said about the ark. Amen. And I said, I can show you a bigger miracle right there under your nose than Jonah and the big fish. I said, just one word. He said, what is it? I said, J-E-W. Jew. That's a bigger miracle than Jonah and the fish. Why? God commissioned Jonah to Nineveh, and he was disobedient. God commissioned Israel to show forth his glory throughout the nations of the earth, and they were disobedient. Jonah boarded the ship and started the Joppa, running away from God. And so Israel was disobedient and ran away from God. So God didn't let Jonah go, but he pursued him with storms. He pursued him with storms. And God pursued Israel with storms and said, Cursed art thou in thy basket. Cursed art thou in thy basket. And Jonah uh, cried unto the Lord as the waves overflowed. Jonah cried unto the Lord and prayed. And Israel in the day of Jacob's trouble will cry unto the Lord in the day of Jacob's trouble. And then God caused the, the old whale to spit Jonah up, and God caused Israel, God will cause the nations of this earth to give back to Jesus. I, he said, digested? I said, let me show you something. Jonah was three days and three nights, was preserved in the belly of the fish. Now listen to what the Bible says. To the preserved of Israel. To the preserved of Israel. Now, a God who could preserve, listen, 
Israel was scattered among the nations of the earth like corn is scattered from a seal and swallowed up with the whole, with the nations. But listen to me, though they were swallowed up, they have never lost their identity. And through the ages, they've never, they have never lost their identity, and they'll re, they still retain their identity. If he's in Russia, he's a Russian Jew, American, American Jew, Poland, a Polish Jew, but he's always the eternal Jew. He said to the preserved of Israel, I said, now, a God who could preserve a nation in the bowels of the nations, without a king, without a country, without anything to hold them together nationally, a God who could preserve them and not allow them to be amalgamated and swallowed up. Do I doubt the ability of that God to preserve a man in the belly of a fish for three days? That's what I'm talking about. And just as Jonah was vomited upon the dry land, vomited upon the dry land, so he said that nations of the earth shall give back the Jew. Why? Because he said, I will take them out from among the nations, whether they be gone, and one king shall be king unto them all. And he said this, the nations will oppose them, but I will fight their battles for them. Don't you ever think for one moment that Israel's going to lose its battle. Why? Because God said, I'll fight their battles for them. I remember when the first time I went to the Holy Land was in 1954. And driving down from Jerusalem to the Sea of Galilee, I could see the old burned-out trucks and the cannon here and there. And I said to the, to the guide, I said, how is it, tell me this, how did you survive? How did Israel survive against the combined Arab forces? How could they? And then he said, well, we had to, the women fought by our side in the trenches. We had one gun for six men. I'd fired, pass it to a man, he'd fired, pass it on, and he'd fired. We had one cannon we'd drag down toward the Sea of Galilee tonight, pull it up this way in the morning. He said, we had to win. I said, do you want me to tell you why you won? He said, why? I said, for God said, I will fight their battles for them. That's the reason you won, my friend. I'll fight their battles for them. His name shall be called Faithful and True. Listen tonight, don't be afraid to put your all upon this book tonight and stand on it because it'll stand the test. This is the mighty oak that stood in the mountains of eternity and entwined its roots around the rock of ages and listened to the winds of criticism and atheism vainly lash themselves to fury through its branches and it still stands. This is the, this is the anvil that's worn out of many a critical sledge. This is the book that will abide forever in heaven or in hell. This will abide forever because... In heaven, thy word is forever settled, O God, and is settled in hell too. May not be settled in some seminaries and colleges and universities, but it's settled in heaven. Don't you doubt that for a moment, amen. This Bible is settled in heaven. Now, the second thing I want you to notice, he said, his name shall faithful truth. Then he said, his name shall be called the word of God. His name shall be called the word of God. That was his name in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's what we mean, my friend. So when you see this, you see Christ. When you see Christ, you see this. Christ was the eternal. He was the eternal Word that was fleshed 
and tabernacled. He was deity tabernacling. That's what it was. And so, my friend, at his first coming, his name was the Word of God. At his second coming, his name will be the Word of God. His name will be the Word of God. Critics may deny it. Infidels may laugh at it. They may not accept it, but it still abides forever. Amen? This word tonight. Oh, I'd like for some of these critics who deny Genesis and defame the prophets and denounce the epistles and decry the gospels that said the race never fell. Depravity is a hoax. Regeneration is not necessary. They have taken the God out of Christ, the blood out of salvation, the joy out of heaven and the fire out of hell and turned us over to a well-planned system of social service that demands no blood, that asks for no saving power. I'd like for them to see. I'd like for that gang of critics to stand and see my Lord when he comes the second time, when he comes down the sky, when he comes riding up on a white horse, and they'll cry for rocks and mountains to fall upon them and hide them from the face of him that sitteth upon the throne. So the man who takes this book and loves it is, is loving Christ. The man who cuts this book to pieces is cutting to pieces Christ. The man who takes it and preaches it and stands by it will not be ashamed when he stands in his presence. Listen to me, my friend. One of these days, God's going to say to me, it's enough now. The battle's over. The battle's over. And I'm going to do this. When, I, when that happens and I step into the old boat and we push out from shore, and God said, the battle's over now. The war is ended. And I step out on the other side and I hang my sword on the shimmering walls of the city of God. I want to hear the captain of my salvation say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you rule over many. And I want to say to him, Lord, I never denied you. I never lowered the I never questioned it. I stood firm and four square for you. I believe, I believe this was the eternal book of God. And when I stand in this prison, I shall not be ashamed of it. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, I love to preach. Amen. People wouldn't hire me to preach. I'd hire them to let me. <laughs> When I get to heaven, I'm going to take a few of the angels over in the corner and preach to them a while. Because I know something they don't know. And I want to tell them, you know what it is? The joy of Christ's salvation. The joy of Christ's salvation. And they'll help us sing and make the chorus ring. But when we come to sing redemption's story, they'll have to fold their wings because they do not know the joy that Christ's salvation brings. That's what I'm telling you. <laughs> hey, let me tell you, you said, Brother Lincoln, my cup just stays about level full. Yeah, it got wiggle tails in it, too. Let me tell you. I don't want no level full business. I want an overflowing business. Amen. I want an overflowing business. I think a Christian ought to be sweet, don't you? Boy, it'd just be so sweet every time a fella slaps you on the shoulder, he gets honey on his hand and goes down the street of licking it off and gets under conviction and comes back and to know what to do to get saved. Amen. You say, you're a nut. I am, but I'm screwed on to a good boat. Let me tell you that. <laughs> Somebody told me the other day, you keep preaching like you do. You come out the little end of the horn. I said, if I do, bless God, I'll jump up and blow the horn. I can do that. <laughs> Let me tell you something tonight. 
He said, His name shall be called the Word of God. There's another thing I want you to notice tonight. Another thing I want you to notice. And he said his name shall... He has a name that no man knew but himself. Now, wouldn't you like to pry into that a little bit? There's a good many things you know, but here, you know his name is... You know his name is faithful and true. You know his name is the Word of God. But here's one you don't know. His name shall be called secret. He had a name that no man knew but himself. You remember when the wife of Manoah said to Manoah that the angel announced that she would be the mother of Samson, who was to be a deliverer of Israel. And so he said, call the angel. So she called the angel. The angel came back. And while they sacrificed, Manoah said, what's your name? And when he said that, he leaped into the fire and was gone. Secret mystery. There will come a time when, when Israel will have another deliverer. Not Samson, the son of Manoah, but Christ, the son of God. And when the Manoahs of that day begin to say, what is thy name? He'll say, secret mystery. Secret mystery. Oh, you're going to have a better deliverer than Samson. Samson came to deliver Israel. You know, he started out one day in search of a wife, and he met a lion. Wasn't much of a contrast, but anyway, he, he met a lion, and the lion roared out on him. You know what he did? He tore him asunder and threw him over in the bushes and went on. There came a day when our Samson came out of heaven, and he met the lion upon Calvary, and he slew him and threw him to one side and went back, the old carcass. And then one day Samson came back to get his wife, and he brought his father and mother with him, and he happened to remember that conflict. And he turned aside and found the carcass of the lion, and the bees had gotten in it. No, they didn't start a clean-up crusade. They didn't do that, or social service bunch. They had just started putting honey right in the midst of the carcass. And he came out of there with that honey, and he met his father and mother, and they thought that was the sweetest honey they'd ever known because it was it came out of conflict. Our Samson came and threw aside the lamb and threw aside the carcass and went back. And one of these days, he's coming back to get his bride. And when he comes, you know what? The thing that'll make glad his heart will be the honey. It'll be the sweetness of the saints. That's what I'm telling you. You know something? The bees are the saints. And the saints are the bees. And what we're doing now is putting honey in the midst of the carcass of this whole world. And that'll be the thing that'll make glad the glory heart of God of Christ when he comes back for his own. Please, my bees might swarm tonight. Let me tell you. <laughs> Let me tell you something tonight. His name shall be called secret. Let me give you another one tonight. And he said his name shall be called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now that's his twofold name, King of Kings. Why? Because he's to take the throne of his father David. He's to sit up on the throne of his father David. Lord of Lords, because he's to be a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. King of Kings, because he's to be king over the kings. You know, there's going to be a lot of kings in the millennium, but he's going to be the king over the kings. Amen. And he's going to be Lord of Lords. And therefore, he's going to be prophet, priest, and king. He said his name shall be called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he said his eyes were as a flame of fire running to and fro throughout the whole earth. 
Now, when he comes back, his eyes like a flame of fire. Now notice his eye. Now notice this. And his vesture was dipped in blood. You say, Dr. Lincoln, what has that got to do? The vesture. You remember down in Egypt, I talked about last night, when they put the blood on the doorpost. And then when they begin to cry after the death angel had gone and judgment had been executed, and they begin to cry and say, this is not fair, this is not right. All he had to do was to point to that blood and said, you could have been saved from this if you'd have gotten under the blood. When our Lord comes, whose eyes are like flames of fire, when he comes as the word of God, when he comes riding down the skies upon the white horse and wreaking vengeance upon those that know not him and treading the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God and like Samson, when he pulled down the temple, when he pulled down the pillars and the temple and crushed the people beneath it, when he comes and lays hold of the pillars of this world system and pulls them down on the heads of his enemy and grinds them to pieces and out will come it will throw the blood of the wine press. When that happens, my friend, when that happens and they begin to say, this is not right, God's too severe, this is too severe, all he has to do to justify the fury of his wrath is to point to his vesture that's dipped in blood. And you said, you see that? You could have been saved from this if you'd have gotten under the blood, that's all. If you'd have gotten under the blood. His name shall be King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's notice his army. And the armies which followed him in heaven upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now somebody said, Dr. Lincoln, I think that's the angels. Well, I think the angels will be there, but I think the fine linen identifies the army. Why? Because he said the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. So who is that is coming back with him? It's those that have gone up with him in the rapture. And now we're coming back with him in the revelation. We're coming back with him, my friend. You remember when he was yonder, and uh, he said, I saw you under the fig tree. And you wondered what that ladder meant that you saw set up from earth to heaven. And the angels of God, he said, well, I've got, I'll tell you, I'm that ladder. And hereafter you'll see the angels of God ascending and deep. Now don't turn your ladder around, keep your ladder straight. Ascending and deep. Descending, not descending and ascending, but ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What do you mean? Going up with him in the rapture that you may come back with him in the revelation. That's what I'm telling you. We're going up with him in the rapture that we may come back with him in the revelation. Somebody said, Dr. Lincoln, one thing's certain. We've all got to die. That's the most uncertain thing in the world. For we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now they'll go up. This is the rapture. They'll rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. You said, well, why did they rise first? Because they got six foot further to come than we have. Then he told you, and the dead in Christ, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain, we will immediately be changed, and those mortal, those corruptible bodies under now have become incorruptible, so they'll come out in an incorruptible body, and these mortal bodies will in a moment be changed and become immortal, so this immortal will join the incorruptible, and as we go sweeping up into the sky, it shall be brought to pass. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is thy sting? Grave, where is thy victory? You say, 
what does that mean, Brother Lincoln? I'll tell you what it means. Death for his by victory. When my daddy and my boy and my mother go sweeping up and they look back and see that empty grave and said, Grave, you didn't hold us, did you? We got out of you, that's all. I got out of you. And then when I joined them yonder in the other land, I looked back at old grin and death and said, Ha ha, you didn't sting me, did you? I got out ahead of you. I got out without being stung. That's what I'm telling you. And death is death, my friend. That's the glorious thing. We're going up with him, and now we're coming back, riding upon white horses. I was on the Mount of Olives one morning, and a man said to me, Dr. Lake, do you think you'll ever be back in Jerusalem? I said, oh, yeah, I'll be back. I've been here three times, but I said, I'll be back. But for some of these days, I'm coming back here to the Mount of Olives with my Lord. That's what I'm saying. Boy, I'll be in the cavalry then, won't I? Amen. Coming back riding upon white horses. And then notice the other thing. And that was his weapons. Out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. And then in his hand is a rod of iron. Now here is the Antichrist that's gathered all of the armies. He's captured every, everything in the world except a little group yonder, a little place yonder in Jerusalem. And they're sitting there, surrounded. They're sitting there in, the little, in that little spot in Jerusalem, scared to death. They're trembling. And out yonder in the plain of Esdraelon, out yonder on the plain, the Antichrist has gathered all of his armies together. Some of the great battles of the world have been fought there. And he's gathered them there for the final great conflict in which the might of men will be pitted against the might of heaven. And there they're waiting. Yonder in Jerusalem, they're waiting for the zero hour. They've heard the Antichrist will soon move upon Jerusalem with his armies. And they're sitting there scared and trembling. And then finally the television, the radio said, Help! And just as they start to move, and just as they start to move, the heavens will split open. And out of the heavens will come a rider upon a white horse. Out of his mouth will go a sharp sword. And with his brightness he'll destroy the Antichrist and he'll kill and slay and kill and stay, slay until it would take six months to bury the dead. And they'd have to call for the vultures and the buzzards to come and eat the flesh of kings and captains and mighty men and blood shall flow to the horse's bridle. That, my brother, will be the day. And then he'll go into Jerusalem. And there he'll enter in through the gate that was shut. Um, if the shut gate is still there, my friend, you go and stand in the Garden of Gethsemane and look at that shut gate in the wall. That's the gate he came out of when he came down and across the little brook Kidron and over into the Garden that night of Gethsemane. And he said, the gate shall be closed and, apart, and will not be opened until Prince returns. So when he comes back, he'll come back through that gate in the wall. The king is coming. That's what they say. And he comes back through that, my friend. And then he'll go yonder to take that to David's throne, and thank God he'll be seated upon David's throne to rule on his, uh, to rule over the world, and then we'll have a thousand years of a peaceful reign, and Eden shall be restored. We'll have a thousand years. We've already gone up, been married, had the marriage supper, now we're coming back down here to have a thousand years of a honeymoon, and the world will see us. And the next morning, I imagine I get up the next morning after he sat down on the throne of his father David, and I walk out yonder and I see a woman put her hand in a rose bush to get a rose, and she didn't scratch her hand because the briars are all gone. The briars are all gone. And the dog howl and whine is no more. Everything is peaceful and gentle. I get on a train and I'm riding out across a western country. I look at a waving field of roses, and I said, my, I thought this was a desert. 
said it was, but the Lord reigns in Zion, and the desert's been made to blossom as the rose. And I said, look at that sparkling stream of water rushing yonder in the wilderness. I thought this was a, a wilderness. He said it was, but the Lord reigns in Zion, and streams are broken out in the wilderness. And I get off of the train and start down the street, and a man said, I want that for my baby. And he picks up a serpent. I said, man, what do you... He said, the Lord reigns in Zion, and a child shall play on the whole of the asp. And then I said, look at that lamb and that child, that lion. Look at that lamb walking yonder. Look at that lion eating scarlet ox. He said, the Lord reigns in Zion. And I said, where did... I said, look at the bunny all piled up yonder. He said, yeah, don't need a lock and key. The Lord reigns in Zion. And every man dare deal justly with his neighbor. And then I said to him, where do you have your hospital for crippled children? He said, we don't have any. The Lord reigns in Zion. And the lame man has been made to leap as an heart. And I said, where do you have your school for your deaf and dumb? He said, the Lord reigns in Zion. And the tongue of the dumb has been made to sing. And then I said, where do you have your old folks home? He said, we don't have any now. They just, the Lord reigns in Zion. And we're just a child of a thousand years. And I said, where's your house? Where do you, where's your cemetery? We don't have any, but the Lord reigns in Zion. And we don't die in this land anymore. I tell you, my friend, the Lord reigns in Zion. Listen to me. I said, where do you have your rented property? He said, we don't have any now. The Lord reigns in Zion. And every man dwells under his own vine and fig tree. That's the kind of communism I want. And then I said to him, where do you go to church? He said, we go up to Jerusalem to worship the king. And so I step out of the big Bethlehem I'm lifted up in Jerusalem and I see the Lord high and lifted up and I hear the great choir sing, Oh, hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. That's what I'm looking for tonight, amen. Jesus is coming, is coming, is coming. Jesus is coming again. My heart is so happy. My soul is so glad that Jesus is coming again. <laughs> 